In the utilities industries, they are extremely risk averse, often opting for the conventional way that they have been doing things for years because they need to be sure that when us consumers turn on that light switch or turn on the water faucet, that water comes out instantly. So this doesn't lead to a lot of new innovations that could truly change our world. And during this interview today, Adam Tank, Chief Customer Officer at Transcend talks about how their technology can do all the upfront grunt work and heavy lifting to propose new sustainable projects faster and more efficiently than ever before. So to learn exactly how Adam and his team, Transcend, are making this happen, stay tuned for this entire amazing interview. You're here for another dose of climate positivity on the Green Business Impact Podcast. Here we highlight the amazing work of green businesses from around the world that are fighting against climate change. If you are ready to be inspired to take action, ready to hear some amazing examples of how we are working to fight the climate crisis, then stay tuned because this week's episode will be the perfect hit of climate positivity. Adam, I know you're in a, quite a number of different ventures, so I'd love to hear about all of what you're doing and just tell us a little bit of an overall picture about what you're doing, and then we can dive into more of the details throughout this show. So go ahead and tell us about you, Adam. <laughs> sure. Sounds good. Thanks, Billy. So I am Adam Tank. I'm a serial entrepreneur in the water industry and believe that water is the next big, we'll call it earth-critical or society critical topic that very few people are talking about. And the world of water is varied, vast, large, incredibly exciting, unbelievably complex. And the work that I'm doing and where I'm spending most of my time right now is helping water utilities, project developers, engineers, streamline the process, designing and assessing options for water and wastewater treatment infrastructure around the world. So I run a software company with another co-founder. We've grown from 12 people three years ago to now over 65, almost 70 today. And our tool has been used to design over 10,000 treatment plants globally. So it's been a really fun ride. Wow. That's amazing. And I, that's something really to be proud of 10,000 different facilities. That's amazing. Thank you. How quick has that growth been for you guys? It seems 12 people to 65 and over 10,000 facilities. That's quite a trajectory. Which is it, yeah, awesome. it, it has been a true roller coaster. People talk about the startup journey. And, you know, this idea of being a unicorn or having you know, logarithmic growth and you always see the hockey stick charts and everyone's mm -hmm. always talking about that. That very rarely happens in climate tech startups, right. definitely not in water tech startups. And I'm not saying that we're there because we're not, but we certainly feel like that energy is palpable, if you will. So when we started the company, we raised about 3 million as a seed financing to get it off the ground. And then we raised another about a year and a half or two years into it. So we raised just north of 13 total to do this. And the future is bright. I'm really excited about it. That's awesome. And what are you in the day-to-day -day operations of things? Are you still on the side of, do you get to get your hands dirty and, and yeah, work with companies or are you more overseeing on, on the top level? Where are you in all of it? Yeah. So in the early days, I was like all of us had my hand in everything. So I was in sales and product marketing in the tech side of the house in recruiting and all that stuff. I still do get my hands very dirty. We are still truly startup, very lean, very nimble. No two days look the same, but I have become much more strategic in a way. 
So my role is chief customer officer. And what that means is I work to ensure that our customers are actually using the tool to the best of its capabilities. And then I also am in charge of the marketing for the company. So between those two, it's not just like hand wavy thought leadership. It's like, no, I'm looking at our ads accounts, getting on customer calls, going to conferences, right? Doing all that stuff that you need to do in order to be successful. And if I wasn't doing those things, I still wouldn't be here. I'd be, that's when it's not fun anymore. I still like to get my hands dirty. <laughs> Definitely. That's cool. And so I, I guess this is a good time to talk about what is your software do and how does it help companies design their water facilities and infrastructure? Sure. So the, one of the biggest challenges we have in the, the world of water is that there are an unbelievable amount of innovative sustainable, proven technologies that can treat water and wastewater that could really change the freshwater crisis that we're having for the better. And I won't say do it overnight, but pretty close. The problem is that those technologies oftentimes don't have a chance to scale meaningfully in the industry because it takes an unbelievable amount of engineering work and data analysis to determine is this technology a best fit for this project? So what ends up happening is you spend six months assessing your options. Inevitably, the utilities who are fairly risk averse say, it sounds like it could be good. Maybe it hasn't been tried in my city or my state or my country. And then the infirm who's responsible for doing this work will also say, yeah, it looks good, but it's probably safer to go with a conventional technology or conventional type of treatment. And so these technologies that can seriously help us overcome this freshwater crisis are still stuck in like a pilot stage or a lab stage, or maybe a handful of projects scattered across a given region, but they don't have the chance to meaningfully scale. So what we're doing and the whole reason that we exist is because we want to enable project developers, utilities, engineers, to rapidly assess what are the benefits of proven sustainable treatment technologies, do it early on in the project phase, so they can make an assessment very early to say, hey, this is something we should be considering, and hey, utility or asset owner, this is why this will benefit you, and this is why we propose this given option. So our tool, in a matter of 15, 20 minutes up front, instantly kicks out basically a full set of engineering documents and designs for given technologies. So the engineers can say, yes, here's the data based on CapEx, OpEx, greenhouse gas emission, carbon footprint instantly know what the benefits are of a certain technology over and that's awesome just being able to check all those boxes up front and just get out of the way that's huge and when you were first starting and coming out with all of this was it a long-term process that allowed you to start being able to say okay it works well here okay this one works well here and like doing all the assessing and vetting and all of that kind of stuff how did that come along i love this question because the origin of the company i think speaks perfectly to the challenge that we have in water in the world at large this software was developed inside of a company called organica water and organica the founders have had this amazing idea if i don't know if have you ever been to a treatment plant Billy, or are familiar with it? Okay. All right. So yeah, yeah. for anyone listening, that's not, you can imagine what a wastewater treatment plant might look like and smell like generally they're disgusting and they're not pretty. They're big concrete tanks. They're filled with wastewater, either coming from humans or industry or storms, whatever it might be. And they're just generally not pleasant to be around. So in most cases, the wastewater treatment plant is located 5, 10, 15, 20 miles outside of a city. And the challenge with that is it's extremely expensive to dig tunnels for sewage and collections 
to get that sewage out to the treatment plant. And even worse, if you treat that wastewater in a way that makes it usable, either for drinking water purposes or gray water purposes, you have to pump it back all the way back to the city. So the founders of Organica were an architect that said, these treatment plants don't have to look ugly. And an engineer that said, and they don't have to smell and they can look pretty. So Organica developed basically a compact greenhouse garden looking treatment plant that could be located effectively in the center of a city. So that way you didn't have to spend all the money digging tunnels and sewers. And if you wanted to reuse the water, you were right there close to the center of the population. But to what we talked about earlier, the challenge was an engineering firm or utility would say, oh, this sounds great. Who doesn't want a garden treatment plant? Prove to me that this works. So do all of this in design work, show me the rendering, these 3D models of the plants, right? We wanna see this as close as we can to it being like real or operational. Yeah. And for a small company like Organica, they didn't have all the engineers and the money and the time to do all this work, especially because if they don't win the project, they're out, they're out of all that money and they're out of all the time. So the CEO said, we're gonna find a way to automate the process of creating these preliminary designs for treatment plants. And so over time, the software was developed for Organica technology and then conventional technologies and then other technologies. And eventually we said, hey, this software standalone can really help the industry, not just as part of Organica. So that's when we decided to spin it out in 2019 and set up our own business as a company. That's great. That evolution is incredible. That's really cool. And so you first were with Organica about developing this software for Organica and helping it there. When you were first making that transition to trying to go out and find the first projects to work on outside of this and saying, okay, we're going to create this as a standalone. What was your feedback from potential people you were working with, like firms and things like that? What was their feedback when they first saw this? Yeah, it's a fun question to talk through because we still get this today and it's been, right, we've been on this journey for three years. Engineers are used to doing things the way they've been doing it for decades. They're comfortable with the Excel strip spreadsheets that they're using or that they purpose built or their existing tools, AutoCAD, Revit, right? Name whatever tools they might be using to do this type of work. So when we come in and we say, hey, we can fully automate this process, you will never have to open up an Excel spreadsheet or AutoCAD or any of these other programs again. Of course, the first thing they're saying is, one, this is impossible. You can't possibly do what you claim that you can do. And then the second thing they say is once they actually try the tool and they realize we can is, oh my God, what's gonna happen to my job? So in the very early days, that was what we struggled with. And even today, we still continue to struggle with it, despite the fact that we now have proven it time and time again with multiple engineers, multiple engineering firms, multiple utilities. So it's it's just a matter of, it's, frankly, it's just a matter of patience and time and when the utilities and the asset owners start to realize, hey, we now have the ability to assess all of these options up front in the same time and budget that we did before, it's a no-brainer. And by the way, it's not just in the water industry. If you look across any industry, it could be finance, look at what's happened to Wall Street. Most of the people that used to be trading paper tickets have now replaced, quote unquote, by algorithms and trading. Those jobs haven't been replaced. They're just doing different things, doing higher level things, right? Same thing in the medical world. A doctor is now using AI or smart decision-making and big data to make an assessment for a patient based on thousands, if not millions of data points that they couldn't have otherwise considered. And they're delivering a better outcome to the patient. The doctor isn't going away. It's the same thing for us. The engineer is never going away. 
they're just going to be doing higher level. And quite frankly, for the engineers that have adopted our tools, they're having a lot more fun at work. They have better work-life balance in many cases. They're working on projects that they're excited about, more detailed, more innovative, more creative. And so that evolution of what our tool looks like for firms that are willing to go on this journey. Yeah, definitely. Because you're taking out all of that basically busy work and saying, okay, computer, here, you take the busy work. Let me go work on the high level cognitive functioning part right. that is a lot more fun and that everybody would like to spend more time on, but they've been doing all this plug and play stuff that they have to like do every single time. But now it's okay, we can take the algorithms, have them all do that. Now let's focus on the fun stuff. Yes. So I, I think that's really cool because I, I think that's an evolution of a lot of this technology and people get afraid. They're like, oh, AI is going like, to take away jobs and, and or robots are going to take away all of our cashier jobs. It's okay. Because of this technology, that's going to free up time to allow those people to go and do better things and allow those people to go and get better jobs and technology only increases the amount of jobs and never yes. seems to take away any of those jobs. Like it might replace some of the less higher cognitive functioning jobs, but that's a good thing because then you get higher paying jobs and you do better work. And so that's a lot of people get afraid of all this technology is going to take away jobs. And it's like, no, it's only going to expand. Totally that's agree. a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. The simplest example I can give you is that I had an engineer recently verbatim say, thank you for making my life easier. And what they were referencing was our software, when it creates these documents, one of the things it creates is what's called the design basis. So basically it's a report around how this treatment plant was designed with all the calculations and all that. And it's formatted in Microsoft Word templates. Anyone that's ever worked in Microsoft Word and try to move a picture around understands how frustrating it is to try to format these documents properly. And our software does it on the engineer's behalf. So even something like that, I can think of a million other things you can be doing that are a better use of your time than trying to format a Word document properly. And it's a perfect problem for a computer to solve instead of a human. Yeah, exactly. I love it. And so as part of the work that you guys are doing in the water industry, what have you been able to allow engineers to do in terms of this moving us forward to solving this freshwater crisis? Sure. So one of my favorite examples was, if, so we work globally. So we have clients in Europe, South America, South Africa, US, obviously this one's a US specific example. So there was a utility in the Southern US, water utility in Southern US, who were looking at what options they had available to them to expand their existing wastewater treatment plant. So if you're in charge of a city and that the population is growing, meaning that there's going to be more wastewater over time, you might see that industries are coming in, which means a different type of wastewater is going to be coming into the facility. You might recognize that climate change is impacting your facility. So you might be having more wet weather events. So it could be localized or regionalized flooding. Oftentimes that water ends up hitting the treatment plant. So what you built 20 years ago is not going to continue to work because of all these different changes. So when this utility had their request for proposals out or this bid out to say, hey, engineering firms, evaluate what this treatment plant could look like in five years, given all of these different scenarios. So population, the type of wastewater that's coming in, et cetera. And they were asking the consultants to provide three different possibilities for what the treatment plant might look like. When the utility found out about our software and decided to incorporate that as part of this process, they amended that RFP to include 30 different scenarios to be assessed. So 10X the number. And what ended up happening was there was so much more data created and analysis done for this particular plant they actually ended up choosing a technology to treat the wastewater as part of this expansion that wasn't originally considered, which actually enables that utility to not only reduce 
some of the GHG and carbon impact of that facility. But in the future, if they want to do something like direct potable reuse or indirect potable reuse, where you're cleaning the wastewater to a point where it can be used for human consumption, this technology will allow them to do that. So that's just one simple example of the capabilities of the tool and why there's such a big benefit for the world at large. Definitely. No, that's awesome. I love that. And yeah, how do you see this, the water industry as a whole impacting climate change that we're in right now? So there's something in the industry called the water energy nexus. I don't know if you've heard this term before, but effectively water no, and power. The first time. Okay. All right. So water and power are inextricably intertwined in a state like California. It's something like 70% of all of the power that's consumed in the state is consumed by operations in water. So wow. Treatment, pumping, collections, the list goes on. You'll have to check me on this, but so 70 with a grain of salt, but it's high. It's very high, very high. And also given the dryness of the state as well. So yes. Yeah. That's yeah. Huge problem too. No question. <laughs> if we can solve challenges with water, meaning we can build better infrastructure, we can more optimally operate that infrastructure. It not only has an impact on the amount of fresh water we're using and who has access to that, so equitable access of clean water, but it also impacts the energy consumption of water as well. So another stat that might surprise you in water distribution systems. So once water has been treated and it's being sent to your home for you to turn on your tap, around 30% on average is lost in the system. So 30% of clean water is just lost to the environment due to mm -hmm. leaks, due to poor usage in industrial applications, whatever that is. So even something as simple as that, if we can capture that lost water, just imagine having 30% more water available, go to farms, go to industry, go to homes, and that'd be a huge impact. So the water industry is overlooked. We don't think about it. All the pipes are underground. You might see a fire hydrant and you're like, oh yeah, I guess that's there. I didn't really think about it until you definitely, <laughs> but when you don't have it, you realize how important it is for society. Yeah, definitely. That's so true. You really don't, it's out of sight, out of mind. You don't really think about it. It's like trash. You put it out on the, the curb and it's like, right. you know, the trash man comes pick it up or but for water. It's okay. I'm going to turn on the, the tap and oh, water comes out. That's what I need. It's all, it's like, you don't even really think about it. It's one of those things that you just go along in your day-to-day -day life, except when, you know, the power is out and you don't have any hot water for your shower, then you're like, oh gosh, what do I do? And you have a lot of predictions on your website too mm -hmm. about freshwater and about just surrounding water in general. And I really like the one that you mentioned about saltwater being used for agriculture versus freshwater, which yeah. I just boggled my mind for a minute there. I'd love to hear you tell the story about what you think is this prediction about where things are going and sure. how this can be a possibility for the future of agriculture. Sure. So this one did, is was not my idea. I heard a NASA researcher speak at a conference and it totally blew our mind. So it was a conference for water industry professionals specifically. There were probably two, 300 people in the room, all whom had spent most of their career in the water industry. And this NASA researcher gets on stage and the first thing he says is, all of you are thinking about this water situation wrong. And so all of our jaws were like, oh my God, wait a second, what? We've all been in this for decades. Who the hell is this guy? I can't believe you would say something like this. And he proceeded for like an hour just to talk basically stream of consciousness at us, but it was so compelling. And basically his argument was less than 1% of the world's fresh water is available to us for consumption. The bulk of that goes to agriculture. It's like something around 80% on average of all of our fresh water withdrawal goes to agricultural use. 
So if we can reduce the amount of freshwater used in agriculture, we can then free that up to have it in streams, lakes, reservoirs, industry, human consumption, right, whatever that might be. And so he was saying what we need to do instead of reducing freshwater consumption in agriculture is to use salt water to replace most of our agriculture. And what he meant by that was that, and he had done all the data and all the statistics and all the math around if we replaced our beef consumption with fish consumption, or if we replaced our protein consumption from wheat or other like staple crops, and we use things like algae or sea vegetables instead, you can completely flip the script and save your freshwater for things that I mentioned, and then use salt water for everything else. So what his thesis was to take salt water, pump it inland, and then create basically saltwater farms of fish, of algae, of sea vegetables, of salt loving crops that would then be used to feed the population. And further, he'd also done modeling to say, you have these inland based saltwater farms, those are going to evaporate. They're going to create fresh rain in places that need it most. So if you have a bunch of inland saltwater farms in California, they evaporate and they fall down as rain in Nevada, Arizona, Utah, the Western states that are struggling with a lack of fresh water. It's going to be great for them too. So it was a really compelling argument for him. And it was, it was incredible to listen to. Yeah. And that's super interesting. And especially the like evaporation to help with crops in freshwater and other crops as well in other areas. It also just makes you wonder about like the balance of things of if that would even work in that way. Cause like mm -hmm. a lot of like, you never know with weather, it's exactly. very unpredictable yep. and you always wonder, okay, you might be putting more moisture, but how, what is that? Like the butterfly effect of Correct. that going to be, is that going to cause, you know, hurricanes start hitting somewhere yeah. else or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So like you, you never know whether plenty of unintended um, consequences. Yeah. For right. better or for worse. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's super interesting. Do you have any others that you've come across since that aren't on your website or maybe your favorite one that you want to share from the website? Yeah. One of my favorites is around water utilities starting to package water and sell it at a premium. So one of the things that just blows my mind is that society buys bottled water and they buy a lot of it. And in many cases, the bottled water companies are taking, this is a, a simplified version, but they're taking a hose from the drinking water plant and they're just sticking it in a bottle of water and then giving it to you. And they're charging you a thousand percent more than what you're charged to just turn on your tap at home. So my argument and my thesis was that utilities are going to start selling boxed water or bottles of water, glass water, hopefully, and not contribute to the plastic issues in a way that provides that same service to people, but that they can charge more for so that they can then improve their infrastructure, the water utilities. And since I wrote that, I think it was about three years ago, two years ago that I wrote, that was 2020. I've seen a couple of utilities doing it. Chicago actually had a big campaign called Chicago. They released canned water from their drinking water plant and they're selling it in stores around Chicago. And they're using it as more of a marketing campaign than to make money off of. But right, the point still stands like they felt like they had to compete for the yeah. mind of the customer with against bottled water companies. Huh, that's really interesting. It is very interesting because a lot of the time you hear that bottled water companies, they actually have a less of a standard than your local utility water. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have this mindset that it's the opposite that, oh, I've got bottled water. It's highly filtered or whatever. And it's like supposed to be cleaner for me than the tap water. But 
almost a lot of the times it's the opposite where the tap water has actually gone through a lot more treatment and things mm-hmm. like that. It's so interesting. I remember my father-in-law, I think he was like them talking about bottled water back when it was like first starting to come out and as, as an idea. And there were so many people like, who would ever buy bottled water? <laughs> it's, nowadays, it's, yeah, it's a huge, huge industry, a huge problem too with the plastic side yep. of things. But yep. yeah, and I know you also have a podcast called What Are We? talking about and i love the name by the way i think it's really cool thank you got a nice little homonym going on there it's cool and so do you want to tell us a bit about your podcast what are you talking about on the show what are your some of your favorite episodes i just love to hear more about it yeah yeah so my co-host and i we play around with each other because he's of the boomer generation i'm of the millennial generation and the way that he views the world of water and the way i view it in some cases are, are different because i have obviously more technology focused lens like innovative and his is more old school, but we oftentimes meet in the middle and where the middle is exactly what we've been talking about, Billy, that no one thinks about water. So the goal of our podcast, we actually don't talk about water. We talk about how to talk about water. And it's an important distinction because in the water industry, we aren't telling our story in an effective way. And that means the general population doesn't think about the value of water or how much they should be paying or shouldn't be paying or where they're getting their water from or the quality of water. So if we could get people to start having these conversations, we feel like it's gonna be better for our industry, for sure, selfishly, but also the general population in the world. So the goal of the show, we bring on the water's best storytellers and they talk about how they're telling water's story. So if it's interesting to you, feel free to listen in, right? Anyone that might be listening to this, but it's pretty niche. So if you listen to a few episodes and don't like it, I don't blame you, but I'm hoping that at least it'll be entertaining enough that you might be interested. Yeah, definitely. It's on my list of things to listen to next. I think it'll be fun. But do you have a favorite episode that anybody here on the Green Business Impact, any ecopreneur or anybody who's in this climate space might be interested in listening? You bet. There's one, one immediately comes to mind. The most recent one is probably interesting. So we had a gentleman on who recently crowdsourced $140,000 worth of funds from farmers in California. And they spent that money on a full page ad in the wall street journal, which I was blown away by who would spend 140 grand on a full page ad about water and food yeah. in the Wall Street Journal, expecting that to do anything meaningful to create a conversation around water. But the results were phenomenal. I'm not going to give it away. You can listen to the show if you want. But anyone that's interested in making a mark in the world of climate tech should listen to that because I could never imagine spending six figures on a single page ad to run once in the Wall Street Journal but the results prove themselves out. Huh. So definitely take a listen if it's interesting. Yeah, no, now I'm super curious because I, I would never have thought to spend that much money on a single page ad. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's incredible. Well, yeah, I'll definitely have to go check that one out for sure. Yeah. I hope everybody here, I'll to put the links in the show notes and everything so everybody else can check it out as well. But I think that'll be a good one for us all to check out. And what has been your favorite part of hosting the podcast? It's always the people you bring on. You just get to meet really cool people. I've been in the water industry for over a decade and I learn something new every day. And the people that we bring on teach me something new about my own industry every time we do. So we're close to uh, maybe 40 episodes, 50 episodes, something like that. Every time I have someone on, there's always something I'm like, oh, wow, didn't think about that. It's a really interesting. Definitely. I agree. When I have people on here, it's just, it's always so intriguing to learn more in-depthly about 
what they're talking about and be able to ask them questions. You don't always think about things in some ways and other people will come on and just completely blow your mind about something mm-hmm. you never even thought of. And those are always super fun. So I love it. And what are your goals for your podcast, for your business for the next six months? It's to draw as many eyeballs in as possible. So obviously to elevate the conversation around water in society is a big personal mission of mine. With our software, of course, we're running a business. We want to have a healthy, profitable business for sure. And the more people we can draw eyeballs to that, the better off our society is as well, because we're designing more sustainable treatment infrastructure. So they work together. But so for the next six months, that's our big focus. And then the other thing we just launched is that we actually are expanding into the power industry as well. So bringing climate solutions, design, infrastructure design, automation into the power to do the same thing, which is deploy more sustainable power infrastructure, especially with the renewable, the trajectory of renewables, like we need more substations, we need more generation capability, we need more storage capability. And the only way to do that is to put infrastructure in the ground. So we want to be able to accelerate that development so we can accelerate the sustainable development of our planet. Definitely. That's great. And just a thought came to me, are you guys working a lot in like third world countries and things like that? Or where are you guys mostly based around the world? I know you mentioned your 10,000 facilities around the world, but. So those of those 10,000 plants, we've designed them in over 120 countries. Wow. So they're scattered all over the place. Most of our work is in Europe, North America, South America, Mm -hmm. but we are taking on projects in South Africa, Southeast Asia. We often find that countries that are earlier on the development curve are actually a really good fit for our tool. Because if you're building brand new infrastructure, it's much faster and easier to do it from the ground up than it is to try to work with something that's already existing. So if anyone on the show is listening that's from a country where you're looking at building treatment infrastructure, let me know. It's worth having a conversation because we can probably meaningfully accelerate the build out of that infrastructure and do it in a much more sustainable, effective manner. Yeah, definitely. I love it. And what are you currently learning right now? Every day is something new. I'd say it's not necessarily as much related to climate or water, but the importance of of people in an organization. Everything is done by your team or with your team. And it's done by people is what I mean to say. And when you bring on the right team members and you have everyone aligned towards a common mission, magic happens. So just a constant reinforcement of that, of how important people are. And especially in a remote world, how important culture is and developing a a culture for a company in a remote environment, it's challenging. And if you don't focus on it, it just falls to the wayside. So making sure that those are top of mind and learning how to better do that. That's a big one right now. Yeah, definitely. It's come up a number of times in the number of entrepreneurs that I've interviewed about how important culture is, especially for the companies that are little bit bigger and have like substantial group that that has formed so far and it's all been about how important culture really is and especially with covid and everything that happened in the past couple of years it's really become more and more how important culture really is in terms of the growth of your company and being able to grow something sustainably because you might be able to grow really fast but if you're not growing together and have a full culture that is able to sustain that growth, it's mm-hmm. all going to come crashing down. And that's what a lot of, a lot of people have recognized. And I think that's is super important. So I'm glad, glad you brought that up. And if you had one tip for another ecopreneur in the audience or anybody else listening to the show, what is one tip that you would give them for growing their green business? I would say it's probably not a topic that we talk much about as ecopreneurs or climate tech entrepreneurs, but if you want to meaningfully scale your business, you have to understand how 
business works and you have to understand the incentives and the financials around it. So it's not enough to be mission driven. And we all are. That's ultimately why we're doing this. But if you want to have a business, you have to understand the finances. And so I had a mentor very early on in my career who told me something I've never forgotten, which is when it comes to your customers, get as close as you can to understanding how they make money. And if you can help them do that, then your business will grow. So don't think of sales and marketing and finances as a dirty word. It's actually incredibly important to the health of your business. And you should think about it in terms of the more money that you make, the more impact you can make. Like they're not mutually exclusive. So be willing to treat your business like a business. Obviously your mission is critically important, especially around culture and what we're talking about, but you have to be comfortable making money and making an impact and scaling that. Impact. Yeah, definitely. Cause the more you can make and more you can profit, the more you can put back into that and more of an impact you can have. So it's Agreed. always, it comes back around because if you're uh, activist and you're out there protesting or something like that, but you're only doing it on the weekends and then you come back during the week and you're working your nine to five job that has nothing to do with climate and things like that. You could do that every single weekend, but if you could work on something every single day, you can have an even more of an impact right. if you're doing that through work that you're making money through that can sustain you financially. It can have such a bigger impact because you're actually able to do that on a daily basis. And then you have more passion around it and you're willing to work extra hours to try to get things done because you're super passionate about it. You need to have the financials worked out. You can't run off of love or passion right, or things right. like that. And if anybody would like to reach out to you, learn more about you, more about your business, more about your podcast, where can they find you? Yeah, the easiest way is to go to adamtank.com. I love helping fellow entrepreneurs. I invest in and coach and advise early stage startups. So if anyone's interested, feel free to send me a note. There's a submission form on my website. Mention the name of this podcast, mention Billy's name, and I'll be sure that myself or someone from the team reaches out to make sure we can connect. Awesome. Adam, thank you so much for coming on Green Business Impact. It's been awesome having you on talking about water, talking about what you do for your business, your podcast. And so it's been really such a wonderful time. And I hope to have you back on someday when you know, you've launched in the energy industry and you're completely transforming it and making an impact there. I love to have you back on and keep in touch and give you updates and all that kind of stuff. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Billy. Appreciate it. And if you enjoyed this interview with Adam Tank and all that he does in the water industry to make it easier to scale water technology solutions to help that freshwater crisis that we are facing today, then I invite you to check out this interview with Swirltex, which has created a new way of treating wastewater to turn it back into a resource that can be reused by filtering the water more effectively using his unique technology. So to keep in line with that water industry vibe from this interview, make sure you check out the interview with Swirltex. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Green Business Impact Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing your weekly dose of climate positivity. In a world that constantly inundates you with the negative things happening, it can be great to take a break and hear some great things happening in the world. Make sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app to stay up to date with the latest and best interviews of the top minds in the green industries. And if you are interested in launching your own podcast to make an even larger impact on the world, then look no farther than the podcasting platform that I use here to launch every single episode of Green Business Impact, Podbean. I searched through all the different podcasting platforms out there and the best choice by far was Podbean. 
They give you truly the best value and all the resources you need to spread your message to the world by easily connecting you to all the different podcasting networks like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all of them. And they give you so many resources and opportunities to monetize it as well. So if you are on the fence about which podcasting platform to go with, make sure you check out the link in the description below to register your podcast with Podbean. Thanks again, and we can't wait to see you back here next time for another hit of Climate Positivity.